Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk and relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at ccloto.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. We are continuing our study in 1 John, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up there. Um, Hope that you surround yourselves with good people um, and watch the game where we get to uh, again, it's just a fellowship time. Me and my wife were talking about, hey, what do we want to do for the Super Bowl? And it's like, we have to be really picky of who we watch the game with because our flesh can take over real quick. And that's all I need is my wife leaning over to saying, Pastor, Pastor, it's just a game. It's just a game. And then honestly, how it's really going to go is me leaning over to her saying, uh, Pastor's wife, Pastor, it's just a game. You need to calm down. So we're really excited about it, but I hope you guys uh, go hang out with some friends and just have an opportunity for fellowship and watch a silly game because honestly, when we wake up in the morning, our hope is still in the Lord. It's not in football. It's not in anything like that. It is in the Lord. And so uh, because of that, we're, we're just, we're walking through the word. That's where our hope is at. And so if you have your Bibles, 1 John chapter 4, starting verse 1, beloved, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false, false, many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth in the spirit of air. And so you kind of read these verses. Like if you're, again, context is always key. What a few verses before, the few verses afterwards. And you kind of read this and it's like, it, it almost seems like, why did he put these six verses about testing the spirits here? You know, because he was talking about a good thing here. You know, what is love and how to love one another. And we know that there's love because of Jesus laid down his life for us. And, and next week, we're going to pick that theme right back up. He's going to talk about, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So right in this like really good definition of, of what is biblical love, letting God define what love is. Oh yeah, beloved, real quick, make sure you test the spirits. It's like, that seems a little, a little bit different. A little, you know, like, why did he put these six verses sandwiched in between this whole explanation of love? It's because the world, the spirit of the Antichrist, even those not of us, if you go clear back to 1 John 2, talking about those that were, they went out from us, but they were not of us, they will always try to strip Christ from what is good, what is true, and what is righteous in order to try to serve up a faux religion of counterfeit love, acceptance, and tolerance. So when we, when we allow the Lord to define what love is, what we also have to know 
is that we have a very real enemy that's going to try to counterfeit that. And so just because you hear people talk about love doesn't mean they're talking about the Word. And you, we have to have discernment and wisdom that we can't just take it willy-nilly. And those are theological words right there, willy-nilly. We just can't take it with full acceptance. So that we, we don't have a blind faith that just says, oh, well, they love one another, so obviously they're of the Lord and, and they're following Jesus because you know, God is love, and if they love each other, then, then that's biblical love. No. We have to test the spirits. We have to have wisdom in this. And so John starts this part of Scripture, and he's saying beloved, which is a key thing that we need to focus on. It, it applies to the whole book, so it's going to be a, kind of a reminder there, but he says it again, beloved, meaning he's talking to believers right here. Beloved, that word is defined by those that are personally experiencing the love of God. So there's a lot of things that John is talking about within the family. Like That's who his letter is addressed to, meaning the other side of it is if you're not a disciple of Christ, if you are not a follower of Jesus, He's not talking to you. And so there's going to be some things that we talk about that might seem awkward or different, but again, he's referring to those inside the family, not those on the outside of the family. So beloved, test the spirit. This isn't something for the world. This is something for the family of God. This is something for the church. And so again, understanding who his original audience was means a lot because you could say some things and it could have a way different meaning and, and honestly lead to a little bit of a theological off-trackness if we're talking to unbelievers. But we're talking about those inside the family, inside, inside the house of God. And so he tells us, beloved, do not believe every spirit. There's that word believe again that we do not want to dilute. He's saying don't rely on that. Don't follow that. Don't put your faith and your trust in everything that you hear. Don't obey everything that you hear. Do not believe every spirit. But if you go back to 1 John 3.23, he tells us what we should believe in. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Believe in that because you're going to hear some other things. You're going to hear something that's contradictory to that. You're going to hear some things that sound really close to that but it's actually far from it. I was watching uh, some little videos on the Instagram. The kids call them reels. I still don't know why they call them that, but that's what they call them. And one lady hops on. She's really excited. She's got a podcast. She's going to be speaking in a thing. And she's talking about who the Christ and the Antichrist are, that they're not persons, that they're energies. And it's like, yeah, you don't know who Jesus is. That sounds good. Because the Christ isn't really a person. It's an energy that we have that we call the Christ of, of everything that is positive love and goodness. And it's like, without testing that spirit, there could be some people like, oh, okay, now I see what you're talking about. Yeah, the, when we talk about Jesus and, and him being the Christ, we're just talking about the energy that he is. And it's like, so far from the truth. That there's absolute lies that are coming at us because our faith is in Jesus. And so we have to test those spirits. We have to understand. We have to put them under scrutiny and look into them to say, is this, is this holding true or is this 
a counterfeit that is happening to our faith. And so uh, we're going to be in a lot of different places in Scripture. So if you're one that likes to take notes, if you miss a cross-reference, just come and find me afterwards. But Ephesians chapter 6, and it's telling us, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God, not just the helmet of salvation, what we've been talking about, but we need to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Yes, you will be attacked as a believer in Jesus. It might not look the same as it does in Afghanistan or Iraq or in China or any other country where persecution against the church is heavily. It might not look that way, but we will be attacked. We will be challenged. And I think the biggest attack that we get in the American church is persecution by dilution. Just want to dilute our faith until it's like VBS Kool-Aid. Do you remember that? My grandparents would pick me up every summer and I'd stay with them a week and go to VBS and I think it was just babysitting. Let's be honest. No. And so we would go. They'd make us play all these games, and I'm sweating like a hog. And then they, we get to go in for snack time, and we got two cookies and a glass of VBS Kool-Aid. When you are, like, parched, it's the middle of summer, and you wanted, it was always diluted, watered down. It looked good. You know, it was bright red. Then you take a drink, and it was like, that's nasty. Like, there was no flavor to it whatsoever. So I just threw it at the old ladies that were making it. I got mad. No, I didn't do that. But I think that's the greatest attack that we're going to have in our faith in America is just dilute it until it loses its flavor. Just like salt. What good is it if it loses its saltiness? Don't be hot. Don't be cold. Be lukewarm. Because we know what the Lord will do with that. And that's the attack that we have from the enemy. And so we need to put on the whole armor to stand against the schemes of the devil. And we have to understand the real battleground that we're in. It's not this physical world in which we live, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So John and Paul would agree, we need to test the spirits because it's a spiritual battle that we're in. There's some theologians that would go so far to say that everything that we see in the physical world is actually just a, is like a, an, a mirroring of the battle that is going on in the spiritual world. And there's little hintings that we see kind of of that. You know, when you think you're reading Daniel and the angel was a little bit delayed giving Daniel the message because he was wrestling against the prince of Persia. Well, who the heck is that guy? There's a real spiritual battle that is going on, and that's why we need the full armor of God for it. And so we are called to not believe every spirit, but to test the spirits. And again, he says, don't believe every person. Don't believe every pastor. He says, don't believe every spirit. So what does that mean? We might be talking to someone that's far more spiritual than it's just a physical person. And I mean that in the positive and the evil. That's why I think we are called not to mess around with uh, any of that Wiccan, tarot card, Ouija board type of stuff, you know, like, oh, we were talking to my dead uncle. You were talking to somebody, but it wasn't your dead uncle. You were talking to someone, and I fully believe that, but it wasn't your uncle. 
And so we need to not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And so what that word test means is just to examine, to reveal what is good and what is genuine. You know, we've been talking about counterfeits. We need to test those. We need to understand what is good and genuine about them and if there is anything good or genuine about them. Acts 17, 11, the Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica, right? So when Paul comes rolling in and he's preaching, they were more noble. Why? Because they received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That they weren't just taking it because that was Paul. They're going to go back to the word and say, where does this line up? which only makes us wonder, what word were they talking about? What scriptures were they talking about to see if these things were so? They didn't have the New Testament yet. They're going back to the Old Testament to see whether what Paul was saying about Christ was true. Yes, Christ in the Old Testament, that we have that revelation about him. Not in the fullest, but that's what, I think that's why Paul was one of the greatest evangelists and church planners, because he had such an immense knowledge of the Old Testament. And when he got blinded by Christ, knocked off his donkey, and he was in the wilderness, I think that's what he was rolling through is his understanding of the Old Testament and, and Jesus was revealing to him, this is where I was at, and this was me here, and this was me here. I mean, even Romans, which I think is the pinnacle of God's Word and the Gospel, it's an Old Testament Bible study. He quotes from every chapter of Romans, he quotes in, from the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament Bible study. And so we need to examine the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That we need to test the spirits. We need to examine what we are hearing. Is Christ really an energy? Is Christ really God? Is He just a lesser God like some believe? Is He just uh, spiritual brothers with Satan? That's a whole other Christian uh, cults that believes. And so we have to test these things and understand if they're true. We need to examine if they're good and genuine. Because here's the key, counterfeits are easily accepted if they are rarely examined. This is where our blind faith, which we are not called to have in Scripture, will attack us and hurt us. It's almost like if you go to the store and you give them money and they give you change back, if you don't even look at it and you just put it in your pocket, like, oh, I just trust you, you're going to give me real money that's authentic and has value. But if we would even just simply look down, we'll see, oh, the cashier has given me pink 50s out of a Monopoly set. That we can be like so void of knowing the real thing that the counterfeit, we wouldn't even know if it is. But even just a little bit of an examination, comparing it against searching the scriptures, we would understand. But that's what makes counterfeits so good. It's not just because counterfeits are really, really good, but they're easily accepted because we rarely examine it. Even me, I've told students, and I tell you guys, anytime you hear anything that maybe just rubs you different, and it's like, I don't know if I really believe that. I don't know if we're uh, meeting eye to eye on that. And that's going to happen. I'm not asking for melody where we're note for note. We do need harmony, right? But you've got to search the Scriptures. If you walk up to me and say, hey, you said this, and I just feel like... No, I've, and I've had people challenge me. Well, what about this verse here? What about this passage? Like, we always go back to the Word. Because the greatest men, theologically, are men at best, right? Men at best. I'm not perfect in my theology. I know I'm not. I'm just trying to be faithful to His Word. And there's times, 
I might say something a little goofy, a little something off, and that's why we need to be examining our scriptures daily. And think about it. We do this in every other area of our life. My wife, um, me and her, we both just had to get inspections on our car. We had to have a mechanic, somebody that's trained, to look at them to see if there was anything good or genuine about it to make sure it was normal. We get inspections on our houses, right? Right before you bought a house, you just didn't walk in and listen to the homeowner and say, oh yeah, this house is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with the foundation. The roof is so great. There's no termite damage whatsoever. No, you get a house inspection, right? You examine it. We want to make sure that it is true and and genuine that everything is good about it. We do it even with our own bodies. We go to the doctor, we get tests done, we get blood work, and it tells us our triglycerides and our cholesterol's up and our blood pressure, like everything that's supposed to be down is up and everything that's down is supposed to be. We do the same thing in every area of our life. Why would we not test and examine everything that pertains to the most important thing? Our faith. That we will set aside time, make appointments, we will pay. I mean, a home inspection, the amount that that cost, like we will set out some real resources to make sure we don't get swindled into buying a, you know, a lemon clunker of a car, or a really bad house. You know, one of the best things for good health is just early detection. That's why your yearly checkups are so important. And we will do all of this for the things where, that moth and rust are going to destroy but we won't even inspect the things where moth and rust can't destroy. We have to be examining of our own faith because God gives us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Amen? That means Satan will absolutely try to counterfeit everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's not going to be like, oh, God already made a Messiah, which is theological wrong. He didn't make a Messiah. Jesus was not created. And so I got to make an antichrist. No, he's, he's not going to say, oh, God already has that, so I can't. No, he's going to try to counterfeit everything good and righteous that God has done. He's not, he, not going to waste an opportunity to try to pull. Again, we're talking beloved. We're talking in the house. He's not going to waste an opportunity to try to pull us away from our faith. And he'll use anything and everything for it. And so we need to be examining. We need wisdom and discernment. So go to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing, there's that word again, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's like test this out. Let let Christ transform your mind so you would even know how to test this out. So you will know what the will of God is for your life. You will know what is good and pleasing and acceptable to him, right? Because we, we're not going to go off the world's definitions of love or the world's definitions of what is right and good and true. No, no, no. We're going to have discernment and wisdom. We're going to let our mind be transformed by the washing of his word, to know what is good. And this isn't anything new just to the New Testament. They did this in the Old Testament. So you go clear back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. These are all the guys, all the younger generation that wasn't killed off in the wilderness because of their lack of faith. And so right before Moses dies, he's giving a second giving of the law. And one of the things that he says in Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 20, 
He says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. We should bring that back, right? So anytime you hear a pastor that you don't like, be like, I'm just carrying out the word of God, brother. The number of pastors would go down greatly. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the Lord has not spoken when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, in the name of Yahweh? If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word the Lord has not spoken and the prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And so there's a test of a prophet even there to understand, is this a word from the Lord? Was it true? Did it come to pass? And even so, now for us, we're not testing if a word is from the Lord, but if the word is the Lord, right? So look at verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh from God. It's a reference to the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. So John wrote another little book, and he named it after himself, right? Go to John chapter 1, where he started this whole thing. At the very beginning, he's saying, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then if you kick down to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us. And we have seen his glory, glory, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we know from the Old Testament, God says, I share my glory with no one, meaning God is one. And so for Jesus to come in the flesh, that word, the word with God, the word was God, to come in flesh and have that same glory, he's showing us that Jesus is God, and he came in the flesh. And so John is defending the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. Because if we deny the incarnation, if we deny the divinity or the, de the deity of Christ, if we deny the humanity of Christ, then we deny his work upon the cross because it all rests upon who he is. And that was a hard thing. Uh, in the early church, they didn't struggle with if Jesus was God. They, they really held to that. They struggled with his humanity. They thought he was just like a spiritual being that looked like a human. And then now we've kind of switched the other way. It's like, no, Jesus was only a man. We struggle with his divinity. Again, Satan doesn't care. Attack his divinity, attack his humanity. He doesn't care. But he's absolutely 100% God, 100% man, and our whole salvation, the whole work of the cross is based upon the person of Jesus, which we know is one of the three main areas that our faith is always going to be attacked. I always see our faith attacked in the person of Jesus, the truth of the Word of God, and in creation. Those are the three main areas that about every cult and counterfeit Christianity in one or more ways is going to attack our faith. And so we, we don't deny that. We don't just believe it willy-nilly. There's that theological Greek word again. No. We've tested this. We've examined this. I've looked at the evidence of our faith. We don't have a blind faith. We have an evidential faith 
that Jesus absolutely is who he says he is, the completed work on the cross saves us in the resurrection, what I think one of the most historically accurate events in all of ancient human history. That there's far more evidence for that than any other event. We've examined this. We've looked at this. We have tested this. And Jesus has shown himself faithful time and time again. And one more testing. We also need to test ourselves. John says, test every spirit. Do not believe every spirit, but test them. And so, do you have a spirit? Absolutely. There are times that we even need to test ourselves. And Paul has a really hard verse at the end of Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 13 Verse five, he says, examine yourselves. Yeah, we need to look at the counterfeits that are coming to try to dilute our faith. We need to look at the attacks from outside of the church. We need to look at the attacks from the inside of the church. But we need to look at ourselves as well. I'm the greatest heretic at times in my life. That man, we can, we can come here on Sundays and we just give all glory to Jesus and then give it about five hours. Pastor, where's your faith really in? That first down? That bank statement? Where's your faith really in? That title, that job that you have, the house that you own? We need to examine ourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you indeed, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Well, what's the test? It's a test of our faith. I'll be honest, there are times I have to look in the mirror and say, all right, where does my faith lie? I have to examine myself. I have to test myself. What am I putting my faith in? Is it in Christ and Christ alone? Am I saved by grace through faith? Or am I putting any of that in something else? I need to examine myself. And Paul's saying that's what we all need to do. Because it's, it's easy to try to use the Word of God as binoculars to look at other people's lives, right? Even at marriage night, you know, it, if you were there, how many times did you want to elbow your spouse? Let's just be real right now. Hearing him speak, it was like, oh, I hope my wife's taking notes. Hey, did you write that down right there? Did you, see, did you, you might have underlined that woman, you know what I mean? Can we talk about that later? No. And that's what we want to use the Word of God for, but the Word is a mirror to our lives so that we can look at ourselves, examine our own heart, our own faith. Am I, is that where my faith is at, is in Jesus? We need to examine ourselves. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul says in verses 9 and 10, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, so that fits exactly with what John's telling us to do, with knowledge and all discernment, because we're testing and we're examining everything that is around us, right? So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Why do we need to test and examine this? Because the day of Christ is coming. And again, that's, I think, a counterfeit inside and outside of the church. He's really not showing up. Or if he is, you got plenty of time. It's not going to happen in your lifetime. I mean, these guys thought it was going to happen in their lifetime. That was 2,000 years ago. 
You got plenty of time. It probably won't even happen. So live however you want and be like the guy next to Jesus on the cross. Right before you take your last breath, that's where you need saving faith. That's the counterfeit of the world. No, we need to have discernment with knowledge. Paul's telling us abound more and more in our love. Why? Because the day of Christ is coming. But listen to what he said. That you may approve what is excellent. You may examine. That's what the word approve means right there. That we are going to examine so that we can see what is pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That word pure means sincere. In the Greek, it means without wax. See, back in the day, pottery was a very lucrative business. And they would, I don't know if any of you have messed with pottery before, you know, like the movie Ghost or whatever. You got the reference, thank you. And you're making pottery, and you know, it's wet clay that you can shape and move into whatever that you want. And then you got to throw it into an oven, a kiln. You got to fire it up, and it hardens. Well, when it comes out of that, if you didn't do that great of a job making the pottery, there's going to be some cracks in that bad boy, right? And a good potter would check it out, and if he saw any cracks, you throw it out. That's what the potter's field was that we bought with Judas Iscariot's blood money. That's a whole other sermon. And so a good potter would go back and remake that pottery until there wasn't any cracks in it. Now, uh, kind of a swindler of a potter would take that and be like, it's a small crack, or there's a little something there, I get it. And they would put wax in it and fill it in, and then they would put the glaze or whatever over it. And so from the outside, it looks great, but it wasn't pure. It wasn't sincere. So potters actually started putting signs outside saying that their pottery was sincere without wax. Because what you would do if you wanted to check pottery to see if it had like a line of wax and there's some crack and you're not getting swindled because you examined and tested, you would take that piece of pottery and you would hold it against the bright light of the sun. And those imperfections would be revealed to you. You didn't just walk up to the potter and say, oh, that looks great, thank you so much. You would take it and you would hold it up and you would look at it. It's the same way when they take that $100 bill that I never get to hold and they hold it up to the light and they're looking for certain things. They did the same thing with pottery to make sure that it was sincere. And so just as that potter held that up to the light to reveal any perfections, we must regularly hold ourselves up against the light of Jesus not one another. I don't have to look and say, oh, am I better than Buff Chris? Of course I am. No, but he's not the standard. Thank the Lord, right? If that was the case, we'd all be in heaven. No, I'm just teasing. You're welcome. There you go. No, we hold our lives, we hold ourselves against the light of Christ. And when we do, we're going to discover a lot of imperfections. That's why I don't like to get dressed in the light. I keep the lights really, really low. There's a lot of imperfections there. I all the time apologize to my wife. I'm getting ready. Sorry, honey. This is the best it's getting. It's all downhill from here. And so when we discover those imperfections, the question is, what are we going to do when we find them? What are we going to do when we find the cracks and the breaks in us? What are we going to do with those? Are we just going to fill them with wax, put a nice little cover over them, trying to look attractive, look good on the outside, but on the inside we know brokenness. See, if we want to be sincere, if we want to be genuine, if we want to be without wax, 
We must refuse to cover up our imperfections, our brokenness, and instead do what is necessary to be genuine. Friday night at the marriage conference, our speaker, a guy named Shannon O'Dell, a pastor down in Arkansas, I think he had a great line. He said that, and I thought, I'm going to use that time and time again. And he was talking about honesty within the marriage, but I think it can be applied to every area of our life and our faith. And he was talking about trying to be honest with your spouse, and I think we need to be honest with ourselves and honest with the Lord. Because whatever we try to cover, the Lord is going to uncover. Your sin will find you out. You will not get away with it, period. Your sin will find you out. Whatever you try to cover up, I don't want anybody to know about this. Don't say, yeah, the Lord's going to reveal that. He's going to uncover it. But if we're open and we're honest, specifically first with the Lord, with our spouses, with each other, if we're going to be open and honest in whatever we uncover and reveal our brokenness and where we've maybe at times even tried to put some wax in our lives to try to look sincere, if we're open and honest in whatever we uncover, listen to the grace of God. He's going to cover it in the blood of Jesus. That was a line that really impacted me, to look at my life and say, where am I keep trying to cover myself? Just like Adam and Eve, what did they do when they realized they were naked? They tried to cover themselves. But when their sin found them out, what did the Lord do to them? He covered them with animal skins. It took a sacrifice. It took blood shed to cover the sin, and it's the same way. We are covered by the blood of Jesus because we have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is what John is telling us, that we know the Spirit of God when we confess Christ has come into flesh, that we are holding to his deity, his divinity. He is God, and he has come near to us in the flesh. But not everybody's saying that. Not everybody's having that kind of testimony, and that's where we need to test it. And he tells us that, that every spirit that does not confess Jesus, that's yeah, not from God. So when we see the attack against the person of Jesus, when we hear that, we just need to have this like trigger warning alarm in our head. That's not from the Lord right there. So when I hear other uh, religions and cults say, well, I think Jesus was a lesser God. Yeah, that's not from God. I think Jesus was a spiritual brother with Lucifer. Yeah, that's not from God. I don't even think Jesus was God. I think he was just a good prophet. Yeah, that's not from God whatsoever. We have to be able to see that. Because again, the spirit of Antichrist is coming. You have heard that and is now already. So last week, I don't know why I did this. Probably just a leading in the Lord or who knows. I say all kinds of things on a Sunday morning, right? But in my own personal study, I've been really rabbit hole digging into the level of satanic Baal worship that is in our country. And it's actually far more prevalent than what you think. And I said last week, and you can double check me, I don't know if I said it in this service, but I think I said it in the other two, that it has really even hit the music industry, the popular music industry. And these aren't just like obscure names of like some weird up and coming artists, that these are very frontline mainstream artists. And you know what happened from last Sunday to this Sunday? Anybody watch the Grammys? 
with a certain transgendered artist dressed up with red full horns, flames caged dancing to a song that is titled Unholy. And a very popular uh, news platform, and I'll call it because they're the ones that said it, CBS, took pictures through the week of rehearsals and you didn't understand the fullness of it. It was just rehearsal pictures. And they said, we're ready to worship. So when John says, this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming, is now is in the world already? Yeah, I'm going to kind of go with John on this one. That it might not be, I don't think he is the Antichrist, but the spirit of Antichrist is very active and alive in our country to try to counterfeit and attack everything of who Jesus is. And to think, and, and what are they going after? Most of us, because we're <clears throat> old and bald or gray-haired, right? Amen. Bald is beautiful. Nothing wrong with it. We kind of really didn't watch that or know who we're talking about. But ask any teenager who they are. Why is there such an attack for our children? Because there always has been. There always has been, from Egypt to Bethlehem. I mean, even the surrounding nations of Israel, uh, the top two sins that the Lord hated about them, one was sexual immorality and the other was child sacrifice. That the attack, the spirit of Antichrist, whatever was against everything that the Lord is for, has always been after our children. And not to get too political, but I'm just going to tell you how I feel. The whole transgendered movement is not about gender. I don't think so. It's after our kids because as young as 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, kids can go to their school counselor. Might not be happening here in Osage. I'll give that, but it's happening. Kids that young can go to their school counselor and start hormone therapy if they don't feel like they are the gender that they were born into. Do you know what is slowly and rap, not slowly and steadily being dissolved, the age of consent. Think of all of our laws that are based on the age of consent. And those are in place so that the parents will stay active in a child's life. But when we dissolve that, what are we trying to do? Separate biblical authority from the child and isolate them. It worked in the 60s and 70s to try to remove the man from the house. Now we need to get the mom out as well. I think it's a move of Satan. That's just me. And we can disagree on that. But in a world that rejects the spirit of truth, think about it. It's open season for the spirit of air, for the spirit of Antichrist. It's open season. If, if we do not stand firm in the spirit of truth... It's going to be open season. Now, that's going to look different. I don't think we need to uh, attack the world the same way the world attacks us. So if they're going to come at us with, you know, rallies and marches and picket signs, I think we need to be far more creative because Jesus was and how he responded against, you know, the power of this world. He was far more creative and to show love and truth and grace. But in a world that rejects the spirit of truth, are we surprised 
about the spirit of error and the spirit of Antichrist that is going through. And so in verse 4, he tells us, little children, and that's the same reference that he used clear back in 1 John 2.12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So he, again, doubling down on, I'm talking to the church, I'm talking to the disciples of Christ, little children, you are from God and have, you have overcome them. So we see all of that is in the world, but you've overcome them right? And listen to what he says, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And I get it. There's a lot of pressures that are happening from the world around us. And at times we can feel like, I don't feel greater than he who is in the world. And it's true. I'm not, and you're not either. It's he who is in us that is greater than he who is in the world. That we don't fight this battle in our own ability It's he who is in us. We are just the vessel. Remember, we're not storage vessels. We're useful vessels to be poured out. We're in the hands of the master. So understand who you are. I'm a a child of God. Understand where we're from. Because of my faith, I'm from God. I'm adopted into his family. Understand where you're going. My hope is in Christ alone. And it's he who is in me who is greater than he who is in the world. And so we started a cross-reference. We went to Ephesians talking about that whole armor of God. If you go back and look at verse 10, right before he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not your own strength, not your own ability to try to attack he who is in the world. Allow he who is in you to attack he who is in the world. Allow he who is in you to guard and to protect and to guide, to bring remembrance to everything, to convict you of your sin. That's the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It is he who is greater than he who is in the world. And he's always been greater. Before the fall and even after the fall. You think when Lucifer fell and how many of the angels did he take with him that I believe have become demons? A third. I know I went to Savannah High School, and some of you don't even know where that's at. Math, probably not my favorite subject, but two-thirds is still bigger than a third any day of the week. He who is in us is greater, period, regardless of how we feel that day, regardless of how obedient that we can be. Now, that might affect our fellowship and our effectiveness, but God is still greater than he who is in the world. And it is in the Lord. It's in his strength that we fight this battle. Not looking at the spirit of air and the spirit of antichrist. No, 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 no. We keep our eyes on Jesus and we allow the Holy Spirit to continue to lead and guide us. And that's what Jesus tells us in John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So quit trying to do this fight on your own. Just We're sheep. Come back to the shepherd. Let him lead and guide us. Don't run, don't, we're, and we're prone to wander. No, no, just come back to the shepherd. Allow him to lead and guide. Last verse, and then we'll close out of here. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ, for in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. So keep your pants on, it doesn't matter anymore. Only faith working through love. That's what matters is our faith in Jesus, saved by grace 
through faith in Jesus, putting our trust and our confidence in him. And we allow that, that relationship that we have with him to work out in love. That's the way that we fight this battle is do we allow the love of Christ to engage those around us that is our faith working through love. And so each and every one of us, we need to examine ourselves, make sure that we are, we've passed the test. Do I have that test of faith? And am I allowing the love of Christ to work through my faith? And we're gonna rub shoulders with some pretty broken, crazy people. But the last time I checked, all of us were those same crazy, broken people. But now we're saved. We have a relationship with the Lord. And we're in the process of sanctification that we're becoming more and more like Christ. And we get the opportunity. It's not a, well, we have to do it. No, we get to invite others into that same family in which is our foundation. Allow your faith to work in your life. And here's the other kicker. If it's not working out in love, again, God's definition of love, not ours, that's not your faith working out. That's probably something that you want to do. So if it's not working out in love, biblical definition of love, that's probably not from the Lord. And you need to test and examine that in your heart and your life because he tells us in his word, that our faith working is gonna be worked out in love for those around us. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we trust you. And we surrender and submit our lives yet again to you and we ask that you would work in and through us through the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit and we ask that you would continue to lead, guide, convict, provide, he would bring to remembrance everything that you taught, that he would give us your word when we need to share it, that even when we're prone to want to close our heart to those in need, we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit would keep our heart open and allow our faith to be worked out through love. Give us that kind of faith, Jesus. And I pray that we would stand firm in the spirit of truth and we know we know that this world is not our hope and this is not our end, but our hope is in you, Jesus. And let us never lose sight. Let us never grow numb to who we are, what you have done for us, and the hope that we have in you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.